Good morning. I'd like to start out this morning's message by reading our main scripture, which comes from Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour is come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Just keep this scripture in mind. We'll be visiting it again later on. So, I'd like to ask you, how many of you are awake today? The fact that not everyone really responded lets me know that I made the right choice for my message this morning. I'm going to take a poll right now. Please raise your hand if the first statement is accurate. If you can, keep your hand raised until the statements I make no longer apply. I get at least four hours of sleep a night. At least six hours of sleep. At least eight hours of sleep. I get eight plus hours of sleep a night. Okay, so we we eliminated pretty much everybody by the end there. Now, I I will admit that my sleeping habits are a bit of a point of contention with Chrissy because I often have the mindset of I could be sleeping or I could be doing stuff that I need to do or that I want to do but didn't have time to do earlier in the day. And maybe it's just me getting older, but and maybe I need more sleep than I realize, but I have a bad habit of limiting how much I sleep and then sometimes dozing off while doing things like watching TV, playing video games, reading a book, etc. Years ago, when living in one of the apartments I called home for a bit before I got married, I was up late one night playing video games, and at the time, all I had was a super cheap office chair to sit in where my video game set up in my room was, and I fell asleep apparently leaning on the arm of the chair like this to the left. And at about 2 or 3 in the morning, the entire arm of the chair cracked in half, and I tried my best to uh, just about fall out of the chair in that direction. Now, I know I'm a bigger guy, but that must have been the most shoddily constructed plastic chair arm that has ever existed. (laughs) Needless to say, I was awake at that point, and I went to sleep in an actual bed. 
When I was in grade school, I must admit that I was the kid that slept through a lot of sessions during my high school years, though I wasn't the only one. This was also before I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and got a CPAP machine, and it's probably partly why my grades weren't so stellar back then. Part of it was just my motivation, if I'm being honest. Though somehow the sleep that I got at my desk seemed like some of the best sleep that I've ever had, which I'm a little ashamed to admit, but it made me laugh way more than I should have when someone from my graduating class posted this on Facebook. If you can't read it, it says, I'm about to buy this. I haven't slept good in a while, which I know is really poor grammar, but the point is, it's a student desk. (laughs) Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is to get to what the inspiration was behind my message this morning. And unfortunately, it came out of a situation that involved me on a Sunday morning. A couple of Sundays ago, Bob was preaching. And as per far too often, I hadn't slept all that much the night prior, and I started to doze off. And Chrisley gently woke me up and whispered to wake up and pay attention to the sermon. <laughs> but this, this statement, this slightly more than a suggestion of wake up and pay attention for my wife got me thinking, because I feel that as individuals, we oftentimes need to figuratively and sometimes literally wake up and pay attention to what's going on around us. And I'm certain that if that is the case for us, the same is certainly true about the society that we live in as well. This morning I'd like to take a look at how we might be spiritually asleep and why we need to wake up and pay attention to what's going on around us. So I've been honest with you all. My self-created sleep deprivation has, on more than one occasion, caused me to doze off during a sermon. So I'm certain I'm not the only one that has ever done that. Show of hands. No, I'm kidding about that part. But if any of you did raise your hands, rest assured that Bob would be getting a list. He might not be Santa Claus, but I'm sure he has a naughty list. Again, just kidding. I don't know that he has anything like that. We used to take kids to PCTC in Harrisburg every year. For for those of you that don't know, PCTC... Uh, which I actually just recently found out they stopped doing uh, a couple of years ago. Um, it was the Pursuit Christian Teen Convention, and before that it was the Pennsylvania Christian Teen Convention. It took place in Harrisburg, and I started out going as a student and later as a chaperone. And people like Chet and Justin Perry, which I don't think is here, unfortunately, to recall this, probably remember one of my most embarrassing moments in PCTC history. As it was every year, I was dead tired every day of the conference. Again, this is pre-CPAP using Ryan. But also part of it was because I would stay up and uh, take part in late night conversations and shenanigans with the kids. So the little sleep that I did get was unrestful. And it was fairly unrestful for anyone that was in the room that I was in, too. I describe my snoring as a bear running a chainsaw on a freight train. Some of the kids would literally sleep on the floor inside of the closet to try to get away from the sound. So Sunday morning, the convention rolls around, and we've done a few songs with the band doing the worship that weekend. 
And the speaker was there to deliver one final message to those who were still in attendance as some groups would leave due to travel time and stuff like that because people came from all different states, not just from Pennsylvania, um, to this conference. And just like every other morning at PCTC, I was lacking in energy. So there I am in essentially a giant amphitheater with hundreds of people, and the only loud sounds in there are the speaker and my snoring. I got nudged awake and was obviously mortified by the situation <laughs> to fall asleep during the Sunday service message at a convention full of people from other churches. What a wonderful experience that was. So we come back to a couple of weeks ago. I'm half falling asleep as Bob delivers a message that he's prepared to share with all of us. And it isn't the first time, and Bob wasn't the first victim of my inattention Now, this isn't an exposition that Bob presents boring sermons that put people to sleep, because quite the opposite, I feel that his messages are consistently good, they're always engaging, and that he is clearly in the calling that God has laid out for him. You can tell that his words come from a place of deep, God-inspired passion. What this is, is a tale of how Ryan doesn't know when to make himself go to bed. Now, I have a CPAP, So I can't really use that as an excuse. So the question is, why am I still doing the same thing that has been going on since PCTC, I don't even know how many years ago? Why am I still dozing off during a vital part of our Sunday morning service? And it leads me to my first point. In order to wake up and pay attention, we need to wake up and get our priorities in order. Sunday mornings are filled with a variety of activities, greeting friends and family, prayer, worship through music, words of wisdom imparted by individuals, and words of truth derived straight from Scripture. There's talking, joy, laughter, singing, teaching, and many things in between. But while all of these things being part of a normal Sunday morning isn't the problem, where, when, and how certain activities occur could be problematic. Because if you're choosing to come here on Sunday morning and your priority for showing up is something other than hearing the Word of God preached, then your priorities might not be where they should be, plain and simple. That isn't me saying this because I'm the one standing up here and speaking this morning or acting like I'm perfect or beyond reproach. This is me telling you that losing focus on what is important here on Sunday mornings can cause us to lose focus on what is most important in our lives, which is Jesus Christ. How many different distractions can you find on a Sunday morning? If I don't get enough rest and I sleep through someone's sermon, I've lost every insight that that person has to offer. I've lost every valuable analyzation of Scripture, every bit of wisdom and instruction extracted directly from God's Word that they prepared for that day. If I sit there and have a five-minute long conversation, whispered or maybe even not whispered, with the person sitting next to me that could wait until after the end of the service, not only am I being disrespectful to Bob or Jerry or Richard Rexford or whoever happens to be up at the pulpit, but I'm once again missing out on what they have to say and what God has to say through them. If I spend the entirety of the time that the minister is speaking that day staring at my phone, playing games or messaging people, scrolling through my Facebook, or trying to figure out what I want to go eat for lunch, how am I getting anything of spiritual value out of our time together. But I can multitask. I can do all those things, and I can still hear what is being said. 
Just because you might be capable of doing more than one thing at once doesn't mean that it's the right choice to make for one. But also because you can focus on multiple things doesn't mean that you're focusing on any particular thing well. And I get that sometimes you feel there's something that you need to do before you forget about it. I mean, I really get that. You, you don't know the number of times that I've had a completely ill-timed or off-topic thought that I've shared with Chrissy because I feel like if I don't get that thought out right then, I'm going to lose it forever. <laughs> Maybe you just remember that you need to pick up laundry detergent after the service or you need fresh garlic for the dinner you're planning. Perhaps it's something trivial, like when Paul and I hear Bob quote a certain scripture or say a certain phrase that matches up perfectly with some song that we should have chosen for invitation or closing or some terrible pun that we in our heads both managed to create at the same time. But I'm not even necessarily talking about a quick instance like that. Let's look at it this way. We spend maybe 15 to 20 minutes singing praise songs on any given Sunday morning. We spend 10 to 15 minutes roughly between praying and communion meditation. And then another 15 to 25 minutes is used by whoever is where, I've, where I'm standing currently to share God's word. Although it's probably more like 25 to 40 if you're Bob. <laughs> Which isn't a knock on him at all, mind you. He simply has more content to his messages than I typically do. So... In all, we spend maybe an hour and a half together each Sunday service with a wide range of 15 to 40 minutes being devoted to the sermon. You're going to tell me that we can't put aside things that could easily be done later? Rather, we choose to distract ourselves or even completely disassociate our mind from where it should be in this short span of time that we spend in this building. And I'm not innocent of this, especially when I was a kid and possibly sometimes even still today, I would just not be able to concentrate on what was being said up front. I would doodle. I would do stupid things like color the lines of my hands with a gel pen. (laughs) Stupid things that took my attention away from where it should have been, which is up here. We can't focus or we end up falling asleep because sometimes, and not always, I know there are exceptions, but sometimes we make decisions They cause us to be less rested. I often bargain with myself. I'll say, well, if I stay up until this time, I'll get six hours of sleep. But if I stay up until this time, I'll still get five hours of sleep. Just one more episode, just one more chapter, just one more level of the video game that I'm playing. I bargain with myself for that time, and I shouldn't. We lose focus because the sermon is running late, and we want to beat the lunch hour rush at the Cracker Barrel. Insert your restaurant here. I know that some of you can probably jump in the same boat that I'm in, though. I'm pretty sure that if I don't get food by 1230, I'm probably going to survive. My my body isn't exactly a string bean. And we end up missing out on an important lesson that might have been what we just, what we needed to hear in our lives at that moment. Or that someone we know who isn't in church that may have needed to hear from us. We're worried about what's going on in our social media circles instead of being concerned for the needs of the kingdom and our own spiritual needs. We beat that level of candy crush that we would have gotten to once the service ended. Sorry, I don't know what people play on their phones anymore. It might not be candy crush. <laughs> probably isn't Candy Crush. 
The point is, though, if it is something that could be done at a better, more appropriate time, why would we take our attention away from our purpose of being here in the first place? Why are the items that range from trivial to inconsequential somehow shifting our vision from that which is of great importance and potentially life-changing? Why are we allowing activities that we could do any other time of the day to detract from our spiritual growth? Luke 10, 38-42 Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a, a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled with many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Bob isn't Jesus Christ. No one is Jesus Christ but Jesus Christ. But he's chosen to follow the path of teaching others, leading them to Christ, and to teach us how to live lives that reflect the Savior in everything that we do. So if Mary chose, as Christ says in verse 42, the good portion, which was to sit and listen to his teachings, doesn't it follow that we should give those who are called to spread the gospel through teaching the attention they deserve as well? How was Martha described in verse 40? The scripture says she was distracted. She let things of this world take her focus away from the teaching of the very Son of God. When we let distractions take hold, we aren't paying attention to the things that are important. Sometimes we let the parts of life that aren't really all that vital, or that are even detrimental or sinful, steer our focus away from living an obedient life in Christ. We need to wake up from our spiritual slumber and realize that we are drifting. Now, whenever I was living on my own before Christy and I got married, and I apologize, a lot of this sermon is kind of almost like a testimonial of, of my life. There is plenty of scripture, it's just not coming yet, so just be patient. <laughs> but I, I believe that it's important for, for people to show that this is something that happens in our everyday lives. It's not just something that happened hundreds of years ago. Whenever I was living on my own before Chrissy and I got married, I was very much adrift from my relationship with God. It didn't seem to matter what apartment I was living in at the time or if I was living at my parents, although to a slightly lesser extent. I was young and foolish and made decisions that a young, foolish person would make. I would go out and hang out with friends. I would party. I would talk and act just like everyone around me, and my church life suffered because of it. I've spoken about it before, but people like Chet and my parents and my sister and probably a lot of others deserve a lot of credit for putting up with how I was. <clears throat> because it wasn't as if I was simply living a lifestyle that was adverse to what I was raised to believe was right. I let it affect my attendance on Sunday mornings. I let it affect my teaching of Wednesday night classes. I was working jobs that didn't pay well enough due to my own complacency, and then I squandered what money I had on frivolous things, barely prioritizing my bills and things that I needed to pay for the way I should have. I moved back in with my parents on more than one occasion, and in both cases, 
regardless of what the inciting incident was that sparked the move, I was going back because basically I was a financial disaster. Again, sorry, Chet, I know you tried to teach me better. <laughs> Luke 15, 11 through 19, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Yep, that was kind of me. I didn't live quite as recklessly as the prodigal son in this story. And I never asked for an early share of the inheritance. I will admit I was pretty bad at acting like a hired servant when I was there. But the results were pretty similar. I ended up going home, fortunately, to parents who loved me more than I deserved. I needed to wake up and realize that I was drifting. Fortunately for me, my parents never gave up on me. They they helped me with my financial issues in ways where I was still being held accountable and holding myself accountable as well. And they got me going back to church for the most part. I was still far from perfect. I still am far from perfect. But back then I was drifting, and I didn't realize it until I was deep down inside a pit of my own making. Now, I've said this before. Some of you may be surprised by this, a lot of you not. But I love the current state of Christian rap music. (laughs) It certainly isn't for everyone, but the Christian rap that exists now is leaps and bounds past the stuff that was coming out even just 10 or 15 years ago. The music and instrumentals are awesome and much more refined than they used to be. There's a growing list of artists with a variety of vocal delivery styles and unique voices. But most importantly, there are a lot of deep, meaningful messages being delivered to a demographic of music lovers that was not previously reached. And while most of the songs still very much talk about God and theology, these songs also talk about life and about things that you would never hear from mainstream Christian artists. You might hear someone like Jeremy Camp or the band Casting Crowns sing about dealing with temptation or struggling with sin, but you're not going to hear it in the way that, that rap music does. And one of the rappers that I listened to, Kevin Elijah Burgess, or as he goes by, KB, performs a song called Art of Drifting. And KB's inspiration for the song came from a dream he had, more of a nightmare if you ask me, in which his wife and kids left him because he had left God. And I'd like to read off some of the lyrics from the start of the song because I didn't want to have to fully subjugate you to the music that I listened to. Um... So bear with me because it's going to sound odd with me reading it. You don't love the church no more. You don't love the church no more. You don't want to serve no more. You just love the perks, homeboy. And counting money from your merch, homeboy. 
Ticket, 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 tickets. Ticket, 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 tickets. And we ain't got time no more. God is not God no more. He is just a job, homeboy. Oh boy. Where did we get off and where did it all go wrong? We stopped talking to Jesus as soon as the mic is off. I had a dream, I had a dream last night. This is what I saw. You can build a Christian empire without God. In the second verse, he goes into a hypothetical scenario. I decided not to read all the lyrics to that, not because there's anything particularly like, there's not anything bad in there at all. It's literally just a hypothetical scenario that he creates for this song, but I didn't feel like you all would understand some of the lingo, (laughs) and I didn't want to have to explain all that. But essentially, he goes into this hypothetical scenario in which he starts to have flirtatious communication with a fan through social media, And he tells himself that he would never let himself go further than that until she shows up in the front row of the concert wearing the same outfit that he had left a comment on. And he finishes the thought saying that he's saying one thing to the crowd at this Christian rap concert, but in his mind, he's taking her clothes off. And the entire situation escalates to the point that he pushed back his flight to meet the same girl at a hotel room in the early morning hours. Again, this isn't something that KB actually did. He just used this as an example of how we can drift so far from God. And he doesn't really start questioning how he got to this point until she asks him where his wedding ring is. And he responds by asking if she can keep a secret. The whole scenario is something that KB created to convey a message but it seems like something that could very possibly happen to anyone in this, in this position. A calling that starts out with conveying godly messages turns into just going through the motions, doing a job. The benefits of gaining popularity as a performer come, and with it come temptations and stumbling blocks that lead to sin. Rhett and Link are two friends who formed an incredibly popular YouTube channel called Good Mythical Morning. Their show featured the two discussing various random topics, doing off-the-wall activities, often involving food, and just seemingly being two close friends having fun. And through the years, their brand and their channel have expanded drastically. They now have five separate channels on YouTube, with Good Mythical Morning having over 18 million subscribers. However... The show went from being something that you could probably watch with your kids to a show that often seems to feature sexual innuendo and off-color comments. They went so far as to have a pay-per-view-only video the last two years entitled Good Mythical Evening, promising these shows to be uncensored events where the guys and the rest of the crew really get to let loose. And I honestly had no desire to watch this as I had already started to lose some interest in the channel because of the change of tone that seemed to be happening and the change in the dynamic between these two friends. But I researched the internet to see what people said about the shows, and it basically seemed to be live audience shows in which Rhett and Link get drunk on stage, use colorful language that is uncensored, and do and say things full of sexual innuendo. These two were both raised as Christians and previously worked as full-time missionaries during college. In 2020, they each talked about their change in faith on their podcast channel, and both Rhett and Link have stated that they are no longer evangelical Christians, with Rhett calling himself a hopeful agnostic, 
And Link saying that he would call himself an agnostic that wants to be hopeful. Now, with these examples of KB and Rhett and Link, these might not be your average situation for any given person. Not all of us have uh, an entire catalog of music that we've put out that people listen to. Not all of us have a YouTube channel with 18 million subscribers. But the fact of the matter is that what Rhett and Link went through in their transformation, the events that KB describes in his song, are easily representative of how easy it can be for anyone to drift away from God. And that struggle, that drifting from God, might not come at you in the exact same way because, again, of our social status. But that doesn't mean we couldn't face the exact same temptations, the exact same drifting due to different circumstances. Maybe it's a particularly talented vocalist in a worship band who plays the guitar like no other. They show up each Sunday, and they deliver moving renditions of all the worship songs, and the talent goes to their head. They think they're hot stuff. The worship changes from an offering to God to trying to be the focal point. They attract the attention of a young lady that attends, and even though they're married, they start to openly communicate and even flirt with this person that isn't their spouse. They meet up for an innocent lunch, and suddenly they're headed to her place where they can be more comfortable. You get my point. And before anyone gets any remote ideas that I'm talking about myself, I assure you I'm not, because for one, Chrissy is the only one for me, and also she scares me a little bit, so I don't wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna do that. <laughs> but also I think I'm a mediocre vocalist at best. My range, I feel like, goes from carrying a tune to cats fighting in an alley. But in the span of about a minute, I managed to create a hypothetical situation that unlike with KB or with Rhett and Link, could happen to anyone. It doesn't have to be in church. It doesn't have to involve music. The point is that it is incredibly easy to drift from our faith and our values. And the Bible's full of stories that people of people that God used to his glory that drifted through their words and actions. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, lied twice about his wife, and his son Isaac did the same. Sarah laughed at God's promise that she would have a child and then denied she ever did it. Noah was considered to be righteous enough to build the great ark that would hold the people and animals that would repopulate the earth. He, but then he became a man of the land, planted a vineyard, and ended up getting drunk and passing out naked in his tent. Samson allowed his lustful eyes to lead him into the arms of Delilah, falling victim to her treachery. Moses killed a man out of anger and had his chance at entering the promised land taken from him because he was disobedient and failed to trust in God. Gideon allowed fear to rule him rather than to put his trust in the Lord. David had an affair and then had someone murdered to cover it up. Jonah ran from God rather than to try to lead the people of Nineveh to repent. As we read earlier, the disciples fell asleep when they were praying and to be keeping watch with the very Son of God Peter openly denied Christ not once, but three different times. These were all people selected to do important things for God, and each of them drifted from the faith they had placed in him, or they found themselves doing the exact opposite of what they knew to be righteous actions. Fortunately, for the, by the grace of God, these people were still utilized for the kingdom. But as important as it is to wake up and see how we as individuals can stray from that which is holy, it is equally important as Christ followers to see where our society is currently and where it is headed. 
We need to wake up and pay attention to what is going on around us. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, you tell me, when you think about how our society is currently, things that you see happening in the news or in politics or in the courts, our television shows and movies, our books and magazines, and nearly every aspect of our lives, do you feel that the things mentioned in this passage match up to where we're at? And it seems like it's been especially bad as of late. Every week there seems to be some new decision that flies directly in the face of what our God stands for and what we should stand for. Now, I'm going to avoid political debate on any of the topics I'm about to discuss because even within the church there might be different viewpoints on certain topics and this isn't the place to have that debate. But I'm certain that myself or Bob or any of the elders would be happy to have a private or a small group discussion on any of these subjects. But everything seems to be changing and not for the better. Everything involving the LGBTQ community, and I know that I'm missing letters, numbers, and symbols from that, but quite frankly, I don't have the memory to remember everything that they've added to that nomenclature there. But they push for that lifestyle or those lifestyles to not just be accepted, but in a lot of cases, glamorized. Gender is no longer supposed to be just a man and a woman, but a whole array of other variations. Terms like birthing person, and chest feeding are to be the norm. Every show and movie seems to have sudden LGBTQ representations, sometimes glaringly being shoehorned in just for the sake of being there. And here's the thing. I don't have ill feelings toward anyone in that community. I don't agree with choosing to live life in that way. But I also know that there is no salvation, there is no change to come by simply bashing people and spreading hate. 2 Timothy 2, 22 uh, through 26. So flee youthful passions and pure righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Being kind, teaching, correcting with gentleness. The scripture doesn't say to ignore sin. Christ never said, though, to beat sin into submission by harassing and badgering people. But we have a loving God who desires for us to have a relationship with Him. And scriptures like this clearly exist for such a time as this. Because we're not going to accomplish anything by trying to change somebody's mind or view on these subjects by bashing it into their skulls, physically or verbally. But sexual immorality isn't merely limited to this specific topic. And I feel like sometimes people forget that. And I understand as well as anyone, that these modern ideals that are being pushed onto everyone, including our children, 
But sexual immorality is alive and well in other facets of that type of sin. Hebrews 13.4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let marriage, the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Matthew 5.27-30, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better you to lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. Sounds like something that the world is adhering to perfectly, right? Television and movies are often filled with everything that the Scripture speaks against. It seems fairly rare to find any sort, uh, any form of media that pushes for abstinence until marriage. Um, and if you're not satisfied with the sexual aspect of your marriage, just go out and find someone who will reach that benchmark. Or partake of the giant industry of pornography that is readily available, not just in magazines anymore, but through a few keyboard presses. Lest all you want, because it's not going to hurt anything or anyone, Right? But those people who cheat, who put their bodies on display, who give up their innocence for money or pleasure or a desire to feel needed, they're someone's son, someone's daughter. They're a child of God just as much as you or me and deserving of a chance to discover and embrace that. Every day, babies are aborted for one reason or another. And again, I'm not going to touch on the debate of when life begins, if abortion is ever an acceptable choice, because again, those discussions aren't for here or now. Abortion numbers annually have actually dropped in recent years, some of that possibly being attributed to recent political changes. But the truth is that there are still countless children who will never see the light of day. And in the vast majority of cases... It isn't because of incest or rape, statistically speaking. But that takes us down yet another rabbit hole of the depravity that our societies reached. For every 1,000 sexual assaults, approximately 25 of those reported the offender will actually be incarcerated for their crime. 25 out of 1,000. More than two of three sexual assaults go unreported. As of 2018, because that's the most recent statistic I could find, over 700,000 people were victims of threatened, attempted, or completed rape. I'm not even going to go into the dozens of other crime statistics I could have included here, including violent crimes, robberies, carjackings, which the last of those two has apparently been on the rise in the last couple of years. I did that before in a previous sermon, and frankly, it just gets kind of depressing seeing where we are as a nation and as the world. I'm not going to go into the detail of how divided the human race has become because there seems to be very differing opinions. Some people seem to believe that everyone from every group hates everyone from this group. And then there's other people that think that there isn't much division at all that exists. And the truth is somewhere in between. Now, as Christians, we know why all these terrible things exist, and it isn't because of human nature. It is because of the sinful nature that has existed since the Garden of Eden. It is the rebellious nature of the human heart to push back against what God has intended for us. It is the sin that convinces us of the devil's lies that we should do what feels good. 
that we should lash out at those around us when we're slighted in some way. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says this to his letter uh, in his letter to the church in Corinth, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Satan's been at this from the very beginning. He knows our weaknesses. He knows exactly how to lead our society toward the wide path of destruction and away from the narrow path of salvation. We have got to wake up. We have to see all of this madness that's going on around us and take action. Now, this isn't some ravings of a lunatic that's trying to start a cult. <laughs> it's not a battle cry to start another round of crusades to try to bring people to Christ because we don't need that either. But it's a wake-up call that the world needs to see Christ through us. The only way people who don't know Jesus Christ will come to see Him as their Lord and Savior is if we tell them. The very people who crucified Him on a cross didn't understand the gravity of what they had done, what they had clamored for, until someone told them. Acts 2.36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It was only once Peter and his apostles made the people aware of what they had done that they realized that they needed the very Savior that they had sentenced to death. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Sorry, I lost my place there for a second. We need to wake up. We need to pay attention to what is going on around us. But we are also called to wake others up to the realization that this life isn't the end. There's a lot of people out there that think that. There's a lot of people that think, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I do while I'm here. I'm going to die, and then I'm worm food. And that's, that's the extent of their belief. We need people to realize that's not the truth. That there's a Savior who died and rose again, and that we want them to not be condemned, but have life eternal with the Creator. There are two final thoughts I'd like to leave you with. Now, I know we're far from the Christmas season at this point, unless you're one of those people who's already counting down the days to December 25th of 2023. But I couldn't help but think of the Casting Crown song while you were sleeping while I was preparing this message. In the song, Mark Hall states that while most of Bethlehem was sleeping, they missed God becoming a man and stepping into our world. He further elaborates that Bethlehem will go down in history as a city with no room for its king. Then later in the song, he makes it personal to us. Says, United States of America looks like another silent night as we're sound asleep by philosophies that save the trees and kill the children. And while we're laying in the dark, there's a shout heard across the eastern sky. For the bridegroom has returned and has carried his bride away in the night. In the night. America, what will we miss while we are sleeping? Will Jesus come again and leave us slumbering where we lay? America, will we go down in history as a nation with no room for its king? Will you be sleeping? And the time is coming, though Scripture tells us we don't know the day or the hour that Christ will return. 
Will we find that we're asleep and we've missed the opportunities laid before us to spread the gospel to others? Will we find ourselves as the ones who never woke up from our spiritual slumber or that never accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior? And I'm not trying to use this as a scare tactic. I simply believe in the importance of this idea that we need to wake up and we need to take action. I find that I use this scripture in a lot of sermons that I give, but it's because it perfectly captures who God is. 2 Peter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The fact of the matter is that God will not simply continue to allow the perversion of His creation to continue and on the way it is, but He also still loves His children and He wants us to accept His great gift of salvation. This is a scripture of caution, but it's also a message of hope. Now earlier in my uh, message, I discussed the song Art of Drifting by, by KB. Now, on that same album, the song uh, directly following that one is called, uh, after Art of Drifting, is Art of Hope. And I'm just going to read part of that to you as well. Oh, what would I do if I could change time back, change my acts instead of changing my facts? What if once a month I would have gave y'all back instead of finding new ways I can give y'all tax? If we celebrated faith like we celebrate gold, sold out souls over sold out shows. Somewhere in the field I think I lost my goals. Who is the man in the mirror? Really, I don't know. What if I told the truth about my doubts? I've been mad at my God, I've been mad at God since my dad stepped out. I'm not the man of God I'm paid to be. God saves sinners, oh did he save me? Straight so far, I'm a mess though. I'm far out messed up. Oh God, I'm a wreck though. But can we pick up where we left off? And there are, there's some parts of, of the song that I can't really convey because it's basically someone else doing almost like an echoing accent part. Um, but the song continues on with the question of, but can we pick up where we left off? And every time there's a response of, yeah, because the answer is yes, we can pick up where we left off. We can be asleep in our faith. We can drift away from the God that loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross. We can be inattentive to what's going on around us uh, in the world that so desperately needs Christ. But regardless of how we stray, we can pick up where we left off. KB ends the song singing these words with the accompaniment of a female vocalist. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day, by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. How do we wake up and pay attention by asking that God be our vision, that God is our best thought by day and by night, and that waking or sleeping, His presence is the light 
in our lives. I'd like to go uh, once more back to the scripture we read at the very beginning of our time together this morning in Mark 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said, Peter, said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Can you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. Now I could have just let you try to remember the words of that scripture from earlier, but if any of you are anything like me, you have a very short attention span or a very terrible short-term memory. But the other thing is, I feel like it's important to just look at this scripture and to to just see how this so perfectly fits what I'm trying to convey today about the fact that we need to wake up. The disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane during some of the most difficult hours of Jesus' life prior to the crucifixion to the point where he was sweating drops of blood. They missed the opportunity to pray and to be there for the man they had followed for so long, yet such a brief time as he was here on earth. We don't want to be asleep when there are so many out there that need us more than we could ever know, that need someone to tell them about the love of our Heavenly Father. We need to wake up and pay attention to the things going on in our lives, but also to those around us, around the world. We're called to be the lights of the world, to shine out in the darkness, to bring hope of Jesus Christ to all who would accept Him as their Lord and Savior. The rest of the worship team is going to come forward at this time, and we're going to sing our song of invitation. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and been immersed in the waters of baptism, we invite you to come forward as we sing. If you'd like to speak to someone about doing that, we would also love to speak with you about making a decision or whatever it is that you might be going through.